I'm joined today by Yella Faringa, construction automation serial entrepreneur and trailblazer. Uh, how's it going today? Terrific. Good to, good to talk to you, uh, Jared. Yeah, I, I want to talk about your multiple ventures uh, in construction robotics, but I'm really curious what got you uh, into this field, which you've been pursuing uh, with multiple ventures at this point. Uh, did you, what did you recognize uh, that led to this pursuit? Ooh, um, so my background is more and more, uh, more in fine arts, right? Mm -hmm. So autonomy is, is there's no fine arts with it without autonomy, you could, could say, right? And in architecture, you have to relate to a client, uh, to a building contractor. There's many various, uh, constraints imposed. And, uh, for a long time, I had the architectural practice, easy city, uh, architecture and design research. Uh, together with uh, Philippe Morel and Felix Agit. Maybe you know them of X-Tree, um, also one of the, the pioneering uh, 3D concrete printers in, uh, in Europe. Um, so after a number of years of, of running an avant-garde practice, um, it, was, it was also hard to sustain that, that practice. So we have both that's an architectural uh, practice that, that built projects. And it was difficult to, let's say, merge the, 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 the research we were doing under the flag of the pra practice with the, with the uh, uh, more traditional architectural practice, right? So there were two somewhat parallel tracks. And we saw robotics as definitely a way to, to merge these two, two fields, right? All of a sudden, there was this kind of ideal uh, interface. So both in terms of uh, uh, on a material level, but also on an intellectual level that, you know, if you can compile robotics code, it's actually a bit more interesting than defining your architecture through uh, plans and sections, right? And I feel also that this was also in a time when architectural, architectural practice was being more and more uh, marginalized, uh, right? So with, uh, with robotics coming into view, let's say both artistic merit and also economic leverage can be, I think, uh, ameliorated at, uh, at the same time. So that's incredibly attractive, right? And yeah. So before X-Tree, your life wasn't dedicated to construction robotics. Uh, what kind of fine arts were you involved in? Um, let's say from, from, uh, from fine arts, I, I, um, I mean, I see architecture as a part of fine arts, right? Absolutely. So we had the uh, Easy City practice from around 2000, uh, and I was involved in it until... 2007, eight around that around that time, and um, I had the good fortune to start a, a PhD research uh, around that time, which gave me the opportunity to to delve uh, delve into robotics. So, yeah, and uh, I've always been a bit an autodidact, so autodidact with a PhD. Uh, but that was a that was a phenomenal time at the at the hyperbody research group, led by Professor Kassel Osterhuis. Yeah, 
Um, so that was prior so, to so. meeting Felipe. No, Philip, we met back in two, back in 2000, uh, 2000 okay. 2001. Yeah, yeah. So we've been been lifelong uh, lifelong friends and partners together with Felix Ajit. Yeah, yeah. And at what point did you become uh, an advisor to X Tree? Um, I'm not really uh, involved in in X Tree. So uh, when when I was heading for the for TU Delft to pursue my uh, PhD thesis, I went I went subtractive. Pursuing hot wire cutting, while Philip and Felix um, started to work on uh, on the, on X three and the and the three D concrete uh, concrete printing. So more parallel yeah. rather than. Uh... Yes. Yeah. This was around. Uh, uh, yeah. This was around eleven twelve. Yeah. So pretty much in parallel. Yeah. Correct. You were at one point involved in a 3D printed construction company and still serve as the advisor to Actual. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But before that, you had another venture, EZCT. Uh, that was the firm you were talking about from 2000 uh, to 2008. Yeah. Primarily. Right. That's the the architecture practice, and then after the uh, sort of when I was halfway into the PhD thesis. I also had that feeling that sort of in academia, PhD is the is the greatest position I feel in a sense, right? It it comes with so much freedom, and so around halfway through the PhD thesis, I set up um, uh, Odico uh, Odico Odico Formwork Robotics in um, Odense in Denmark. Um, this was a, a direct. Uh, result from uh, presenting at the Fabricate 2011 conference. So this is mm -hmm. already quite a, yeah, it's more than a decade, well, well yeah. over a decade. Yeah. yeah. And the work you presented at that conference using subtractive uh, ma manufacturing robotics, how did that lead to the next venture? The Well, the interesting thing is that um, Sort of, we're, we're used to to speaking in terms of additive and subtractive when when uh, when discussing the realm of digital concrete, uh, but there's something futile about it, right? I mean, if you're doing if you're making molds sub subtractively by by hot wire cutting, and you pour in the concrete, it's a bit ambivalent whether that count whether you should see that as subtractive or, or additive True. manufacturing, right? So I honestly, I think, let's say, uh, pra being practical rules, right, especially in, uh, in, in challenging uh, worksite conditions. Um, but long story short, in a sense, right, is that I felt I had qu quite a bit of experience uh, CNC milling, and it was obvious and clear to me that um, that it was prohibitively costly, right? Just in terms of the, the output volume versus uh, the cost and maintenance of running fairly exotic uh, machinery, right? So uh, I think the enthusiasm of industrial robotics were, was also that they were relatively affordable. So the I managed to get a hold of a number of you know, quarter century old ABBs. The first that came with the rapid language and 
you know, for scrap prices, basically, like, like nothing. And it, you know, it, it sort of relaxed the atmosphere at the robot lab because uh, since the, 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 the costs involved uh, wasn't that high, there wasn't also a, a vast pressure uh, to, 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 to get with results while, while we actually initially managed, managed to do so. Um, so what was very important um, to get up and running was also which flowed out of the uh, came about of, of the Fabricate 2011 conference was uh, meeting with Dave Pegram and and Wes McGee, uh, and yeah that that helped kickstart the the momentum of the of the lab. So Wes and I were both interested. We both in presented work regarding hot wire cutting but West Mickey was was a yeah half a year year uh, ahead of me in, in in terms of developments and a, a far cooler dude well from architecture at least American architects I've spoken to uh, it seems like in architecture school they try to get you to conform to traditional styles of architecture uh, and build uh, classical styles, but the technology you were working on is, in theory, enabling uh, the digital modeling, which was previously cost prohibitive to construct, uh, makes it possible to, to yeah. build. So is there a specific t kind of uh, design you were seeking that was uh, enabled? So, I mean, I think that hinges back into the, into why with easy city we we developed such an interest in in robotics uh so following we we won the the Cerusi gallery uh competition back in 2007 and architecturally i felt in sort of olympic form uh to be so unmodest and it was frustrating as an architect to have relatively little control in terms of uh the economics of your of your build proposition, right? You're leaning so much, so so much on uh, what a building contractor is is co uh, is coming up. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you know, if you're doing uh, run of the mill stuff, then you're gonna your your price your prices will uh, are a bit more indicative. But if you're if if you're architecturally a bit more explorative, that uncertainty also uh, scales accordingly. So actually, it also uh, made sense to to get into into fabrication and maybe on a deeper level I think architecture is a simultaneity of uh, design uh, economics and craft right so you have certain design that is overly crafted right is obsessed about that about obsessed about some kind of handiwork or some design is just too designed and it, it ignores industrial and, and uh, other constraints. So this simul to achieve this simultaneity between these various aspects in architecture is, is an absolute challenge. And I guess I, I, this intuition of hot wire cutting uh, stemmed from that. So it was kind of tied to, uh, to a material strategy as well, following from... Uh, uh, expanded polystyrene uh, foam blocks so you can recycle them very well 
what's also interesting in that material is that it's it's incredibly uh, so we can establish that it's not very uh, uh, bioorganic, right? Is that it's not a bio-based uh, uh, way of building. But let's say the few liters of styrene, it would result, it's actually quite effective if you look at it a bit more holistically because it's so, it, it has such a great uh, insulating capacity that that trade-off is actually quite, uh, quite cool. So at that time, I was thinking that this combination of uh, of a methodology that, let's say, in terms of formal gravel, formal grammar allows uh, a great great scope with this very cost effective and high insulating capacity of of the EPS phone was kind of a fantastic uh, fantastic package, and since EPS has this amazing property of uh, being able to hold up. Uh, a lot of pressure and vast, vast amounts of hydrostatic pressure. Uh, from there on, kind of uh, mold making emerged as a as a kind of logical, um, uh, natural conclusion, right? Uh, economically, so also there, in a sense, right? Initially, my th my my thought was more uh, to use these EPS elements more as plugs than as molds, more as positive forms rather than negative forms in which to you cast the concrete uh, the concrete so again you know is that uh, it's interesting right the the normal of the surface right if it's an in uh, a positively defined shape or a negatively uh, defined one yeah so um, when you start working with these robots were you mostly responsible for the design side and there were other team members who were handling the software uh, or were you jumping right into managing the software yourself? Managing the software myself, definitely. And um, that also wedges, wedges into uh, Easy City actually, because in a number of, at the time, uh, around around this time of 2008, Digital Project, this this branch of Katia, was quite popular in uh, in Paris, and, and in, I mean it was phenomenal software, and there was also a consultancy service, engineering service tied to that. So a lot of the intelligent, clever people ended uh, ended up in that in in that realm. Uh, did really well for some time. And we were, were pretty interested in exploring Katia, and I was writing Python code in the back end uh, together with a friend, Thomas Pavio, uh, who, who created a rigid body uh, dynamics plugin. Kind of surprising that Katia didn't have that. And at some point, we were informed to either pay up a plugin development's license or stop pursuing that particular uh, vector. And from then on, uh, Thomas took the initiative to develop Python OCC, which is an open source uh, CAD kernel. And uh, that seemed an incredibly attractive uh, uh, project to, to pursue, um, since I very much like, uh, from, from Easy City, our, our, our view on the world is very much a computational one. So let's say I was I was keen to have a, a, a Python kernel without any any GUI attached, 
to it and um, yeah so something closer to the metal so to say and that also why am i digging into this that also was the, was the essential underpinning for the PyRapid software uh, that we used for 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 Odico. So somehow these these various avenues uh, kind of are uh, do correlate uh, strongly in a sense, right? From projects tangentially uh, going from one flowing from one into uh, into another. Yeah, and uh, I mean that's the uh, software is still. Uh, quite strongly maintained and, and making quite a few waves. Um, it's the same underpinnings as FreeCut, uh, for for uh, for instance. Uh, and Tom van Meel of, of uh, the Block Research Group is recently also became quite a fan and is developing on it. So that's it's exciting to uh, to see. Yeah. What was that learning curve like? Were you taught in school Python, or was that something you had to learn on your own afterwards? No, so I didn't study that that much. I have to say, uh, I did spend a, a few years in the in the art academy, but architecturally and uh, also in terms of technologically, both in in software development, I'm I'm auto autodidact. Yeah. What was that learning curve like? I mean, it's not easy to just jump into uh, <laughs> you no know, Python. No, 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 very very steep. Uh, but also liber uh, liberating, right? Mm -hmm. And in a sense, you develop uh, an, uh, an an instinct for for the development of of certain technologies, right? Is that sure the the investment is considerable and steep? Um, but softwares are 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 cultural entities, right? So, in a sense, if you if you go along, uh, I think I think choosing the, the the kind of software it determines your world to a large extent, right? So it it is something that you can invest deeply into uh, because it will have profound uh, profound effects. And so when I when I started to, to join Thomas Thomas Pavio with the development of Python, see, I didn't have Odico in mind, but uh, it would have been difficult to pursue Odico and pursue robotics without without a powerful uh, CAD kernel. So you know, I'm a huge fan of what uh, what the Block Group is doing with uh, with Compass. I think that's uh, since Grasshopper, a very very significant uh, development. I never was a fan of this. Uh, visual programming, mm -hmm. and um, I think I had had these kind of similar ambitions, but uh, uh, not as technically competent and as well organized as uh, as as what is what is coming along these days. So I think that is a incredible incredible effort, um, and significant because. I think it's the best way to condense your research, right? Is that if if your research is ex executable, if you can share it in an open source manner, it will continue uh, to evolve. Um, so, you know, when we were working on um, sort of the, the the seminal projects of EasyCity, are are very much onto evolutionary computing, right? Is 
and kind of very conceptual approach to to architecture where you try to have a, a, a clear architectural concept um, frame that into code and and accept its outcome in a sense right so we're running these large evolutionary computing uh, programs on grid computers uh, at the India research facilities at the uh, uh, in Paris and, and working with the uh, with the top researchers uh, uh, at the time which is yeah which was a, an absolute privilege and uh, very very interesting so in that sense it also came natural in a sense right is that uh, the development of such a such a kernel seemed logical yeah, I'm a firm believer that intrinsic motivation, especially for knowledge and skills, is much stronger than external motivation. And so if you are learning things because you want to use them and you have specific use cases in mind, uh, it's, I don't know, a much stronger motivation. It's easier to stay driven and passionate about what you're doing. Uh, so that sure, seems to be sure. something you implemented very effectively. Uh, when did you then Eff join? Well, effectively, it was, it was also hard work in a sense, right? It was also somewhat naively in a sense, right? So, um, but it, it had, its, had its merits, right? So at the time, I didn't, I had little, little idea about how, much, how many years I uh, would have been involved in, in, in those projects. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah, I, I don't think it ever comes without the hard work. Uh, the actual, uh, you move from the wire cutting uh, to concrete printing. Which of the skills you developed prior were they most in demand of at actual? So with actual, um, we use more uh, uh, fused deposit uh, printing rather mm -hmm. than specific. It's it's not tailored around uh, concrete printing per se Mortars so classes. sort of the yeah exactly the product we're known for is are these these printed terrazzo floors so in a sense it's more the mold that we are printing than uh, and the infill is uh, is installed on site in the in situ uh, and then after milling out uh, the surface these beautiful beautiful patterns emerge and um, so the f what I think is uh, what was interesting with actual is that in Odico, as makers of the mold, these molds, uh, we kind of at the time ended up uh, as a as a subcontractor. This is a couple of years ago. It's it has changed a little bit over time. But when I left the the company, we were kind of subcontractors. And what what I think is cool with actual is that we're through the 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 technology that uh, that we're building, we're consuming that con uh, technology ourselves in products that are hard to replicate in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. That are tied to the methodology that uh, that has been been developed. So I think an interesting aspect of of uh, the success of actual is is this a new view uh, on what an architectural practice economically uh, may pursue, right? So, and, and yeah, new uh, new kind of model for an, uh, for an architectural practice. And uh, yeah. Would most clients approach you wanting 
a creative design or do they have some design in mind that they want to bring to fruition? I think both and and so I, I think of the the products that are that we pursue with actual are, are very much open open to extension uh, so the initial version of the floor uh, was in, was designed by ourselves and installed in ship hall um, but also it's open enough that a famous designer like Patricia Urquiola can project her design language on, on top of uh, such, a, such a product. And you know what is that in architecture, the, uh, since the, the credit crunch, the average size of an architectural practice is 4.3 FTE, right? It's really... How can you have a, a, a serious impact if if all of these, so many of these are offices are are uh, of so modest modest size, right? And I think that has something to do with also a little bit egos in a in a way, right? Is that in order to make yourself known to the world, I, I think it's impossible with four four people in a sense, right? Because you just don't have the. Uh, you just don't have enough personnel to, to really. Uh, if you if you're not pursuing a niche, then architecture is is too demanding to develop something novel. So then you have to compete on 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 sort of a brand name. I think it's just a disaster, right? I, I, I don't think it's going to work. So that's why maybe you also had a, a little bit more of an open mind that these. It's also important. If you don't want to be margin, if you want to overcome this problem of, of uh, uh, this danger, maybe that's a better phrasing of becoming a, a small uh, marginal office. That you know those, those that it's that's actually a requirement to make these these products also open open for extension. So I like that kind of attitude in a sense, right? Both niche and open. It's yeah, it's somewhat paradoxical. Yeah, and a floor is a great place to be designing something so custom because it gets so much traffic. Uh, and it's especially if it's a unique floor, it's pretty rare for somebody to walk on a floor and it be something they've never seen before, or totally unique. So I could imagine that bringing in lots of new clients after they see the product and asking, who did this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting story because actual is a spin-off of, of this architects. And at the time... This was working on 70, uh, you know, this from the Kamermaker, right? From uh, one of these first 3D printers of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the building, at the building scale. Uh, and working on 70,000, 70, a renovation of ship hall of 70,000 square meters. And basically, you know, it's really difficult to fiddle with the light or think of a specific texture for... for uh, a furniture piece when when anything you do is swallowed up by an ocean of bland gray tiles right so there was uh, there was a need for us to to think of a a, a a foundational yeah a new foundational entity right a new foundational uh, product and and that became the the, the printed floor uh, yeah but it's it's kind of interesting right is that it it does open up these 
these floors at, as these vast uh, architectural uh, canvases. And back in the day, in um, uh, an, a very important exhibition was held at the Centre Pompidou in, in 2003, the, the non-standard exposition curated by um, uh, Frédéric Miguerou. And uh, Easy City produced the, the, um, the layout of the exposition, the, the scenery of the ex exposition. And also there we installed one of these very bespoke uh, floors. So it's, it's something that, uh, uh, that, I, yeah, that, I've, that I've dabbled with for, for a while. Um, but at the time I was, was also very lucky to be involved in, in actual... Uh, so much work had already been done in in terms of uh, financing. There was a there was a a, a, a beautiful building, a beautiful workshop already ready set up. So the team of of this had already done a lot of work uh, before I came into view. But we're also a little bit behind on the three D printing technologies, and yeah, with the experience of. Uh, being knowledgeable of, of, of robots actually uh, meant that we could develop it fairly quick. I, th I think it about took three to four months and then up to half a year before the, the production was really uh, streamlined and then we were running prints uh, through, the, through the night. So that's, that's something very enjoyable um, of, of, of being able to pursue these this lights out mode of uh, mode of operation. Um, so there's, you know, there's 24 hours in the day, and you spend uh, eight such that you have 16 hours of, of productivity, if not uh, if not 24. And um, you know, after uh, after half a year, we routinely ran print throughout the weekend, throughout the the, the night. So there's something you, you know pretty cool run? about. You'd trust yeah. the system to run without anyone there? Yeah, sure. Wow. Yeah, it's routine, That's... right? So after half a year, it was routine for uh, for it to, to operate lights out. But you need to, right? Is that if you're doing FDM printing, you're, you're basically watching the paint dry. Um, so it's a, it's a requirement. So initially, we optimized for deposition rate. We're a little bit too focused. Uh, on that, you know, trying to print 20, 25 kilos uh, an hour, which is a lot in FDM. Of course, it's nothing in uh, in concrete printing, but in FDM, that's a bunch. Uh, but it's actually more the robustness that is uh, that is essential, that is that is critical to be able to, yeah, that you can go home with confidence and uh, and and have beautiful products in the in the morning. That's so it's unheard of. With you know, but it, yes, but concrete is also, you're printing much more, much faster. It's much more uh, susceptible to conditions, right? So, uh, you know, if, it, if, your, if your environment changes, the temperature, humidity, I think you'll, you'll be in. Uh, so you need, to, uh, you need to have to, of course, you can program a PLC to, to see if you can... Uh, adapt those conditions and you know start stop your print when it becomes unstable or something but also the flow of material it's it's quite quite uh, challenging 
but with terrestrial, you know, is that I'm I'm definitely pursuing this kind of lights out uh, mode of mode of operandi. I th- you know this is I think that it's defining for uh, the economy of of robotics. So what's what's interesting is that if you consider you know the day not as uh, eight hours but twenty four, it becomes you cater to the needs of the production such that you know you make sure that uh, you have you have another sixteen hours of productivity and actually at some point you become the overhead. You see what I mean? <laughs> and uh, so in a sense you stop losing money when you when you go home. There's there's yeah. It sounds maybe a bit cynical, but it's it's also kind of fun if you if you manage to achieve it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But the, the I want to get into the block foundation and terrestrial. Uh, before we do that, I want to let you finish. I think we have like a delay sure. in uh, in the thing. Uh, so what, I want to let you finish whatever you were just saying, and then I, I want to ask about the credit crunch that led to uh, the three to four people in each firm. Was that after 2008? Yes. Yeah, so architecture firms. Well, this is specifically for the Netherlands. Uh, I don't know how it's how how the distribution looks like in Europe, but I wouldn't be surprised if if it would be around the same uh, same distribution. So before and after the credit crunch, um, I think there were 150 offices in Amsterdam and 1,500 after the credit crunch. So that's order. Yeah, it's bizarre in a sense, right? Is that you? You can't compare the economy of architecture office before and after, yeah, severely. And then the credit uh, alleviated, credit rates went back down again, right? But the number of firms stayed high and kept growing, or it, that never consolidated? It never consolidated, no. And uh, still hasn't, in a, in a sense, right? So it's, it's, it's definitely a different, uh, different reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating, no, when you think of it. Yeah, uh, I'm always trying to understand how the world works and the macroeconomics. It's so uh, it's almost impossible to understand, but I still like to ask questions when I can. No, but I think it's I think that's very interesting in a sense, right? And um, and I think in architecture, I mean, it's so driven by by economics, and in schools, it's not taught, right? Is that mm-hmm. just dis- discarded? It's it's shocking, right? And uh, because I think you need to to see the economical in and outputs. Those are design criteria, right? And it's it's not something to be scared away of, but you know, addressed addressed heads on. It it rules our world so so considerably, and um, yeah. What were you getting at before that? Before I uh, took us off in a tangent. Um, oh, sorry. I missed it, Jared. Help, help me out, please. What was that? Well, let's move on to the Block Foundation. So from actual, you had mentioned to me you kind of have a startup mentality and you like uh, beginning new ventures uh, and starting companies. So was that something uh, burning inside you that you were eager to create something new? after actual had kind of grown to a sustainable point? Mm. It, it also has to do with character flaws, is that, you know, when, when Odico 
became more in an operational mode, you know, when the fundamental software technology was developed. I'm, I'm not comfortable with an operational, uh, with manic- managing operations, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just not, I'm just, I get in the way. And um, I think to some extent that applies to, to, to both, both, both uh, Audico and, and, and Actual, right? Is that I, I feel that I become a bit jittery, and that it's time for for something something novel. Yeah, yeah. So, what was the birth of the Block Foundation? Uh, was there a moment that you had an idea, or was there an inspiration? Yeah, the analysis is that you know after after having spent a decade in in robotics, my I get into this somewhat of this paranoia that you might up doing doing uh producing similar design uh with different means right and if you don't change uh how architecture is financed that let's say the impact in terms of fabrication is also limited right you need you need to control you need to be able uh, you need to pull from either end of the of the of the rope uh, to really have some control and to really put forward interesting uh, propositions, so that's why I think you know the design of your practice is is so often somewhat uh, underrated, right? The architecture of 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 the kind of firms that you're that you're pursuing, and I guess uh, you know is that I'm quite quite. Uh, and that's definitely not only my, my contributions. It's uh, uh, it's the team of uh, Dus Architects, you know, of Hedwig Heinzman, Hans Vermeulen, Martina de de Witt. So together we we uh, um, we we truly we we architected architectural practice in in uh, in actual. And I think that's an important contribution and. Let's say with Audico, I think let's say the design on the economical level maybe was a was a little bit flawed, right? Is that ending up too much as a as a sub subcontractor? I mean, the company is pretty pretty successful. It's just the um, the first publicly traded architectural robotic firms, and I mean that's that's quite cool. Um, but the ties to architecture are closer with actual than uh, than with with Audico. Audico is closer to construction, where mm-hmm. archi- uh, actual is closer to to architecture. Yeah. So now we get to uh, your terrestrial, uh, which is in doing earth and construction, um, and it's it's clear to me that you've prioritized. Uh, economic viability, which is great and something that a lot of people from a design background tend to overlook. Uh, they create incredible renderings and then they don't think about how it could actually be built and they end up never getting built. So uh, how are I, these values represented in terrestrial? I was a rendering specialist for a long, long while. So, <laughs> uh, well, so in a sense, I think the 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 outlook on earthen constructions was uh, was also driven that 
just by the by the dumb fact that there were already at the time so many 3D concrete print startups, right? And I'm friends to 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 some of the prolific ones, right? X3 with Philippe Morel and Felix Ajit, but also Vertical with Volker uh, Reitinga. And I mean, they're doing a killer job, right? I mean, uh, so I was fascinated with concrete printing, and I dabbled with it with it in 2015. I mean, did a, did pretty okay, but nothing. I didn't have a radical view to to offer, right? And then then you're competing with uh, with the rest. Uh, that said, so being in all by by the, by X3 and, and Vertigo, uh, so my my terrestrials next door neighbors with with Vertigo. We are we are very close. But after a number of years. I also saw and observed a, a couple of downsides of of the um, of extrusion-based uh, 3D concrete printing. You know, is that when we speak of concrete, it's the the marriage, the composite of steel rebar and concrete. And in a sense, if you look a little bit critical at concrete printing, it's more aggregate is missing. Obviously, right? I mean, rarely you see anything more than two millimeters. And, you know, technically in, in geo, geophysics, anything smaller than two millimeters is considered sand, right? Is that uh, above two millimeters is considered aggregate. Uh, so there's hardly any aggregate in it. Well, if you, if you look at, if you observe the composition of Concrete over uh, well over 100 years ago, it's sort of cement bonding, bonding aggregate, right? Is that uh, so? Let's say what we think of concrete is not unif uniform, right? That's that's pretty interesting. But um, you know the, the 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 incredibly high content of of cement, not being able to to work with uh, with rebar, um, I find I find problematic. So I think, yeah, uh, a, a new outlook on on printing was uh, was necessary. So I'm, in that sense, I'm attracted to uh, very much to earthen constructions because the with earthen construction, first of all, is that the material is, is kind of negative value, right? Is that if you if you consume it at scale, right, for one or two, one or two ton of earth nobody will care in a sense right but if you do this at a massive scale the materials either cheap or negative value and uh, in earthen constructions more and more it's becoming viable to stabilize earthen constructions without the, the use of cement right so common mixtures use about 5 to 10 10% of cement 3d concrete mixtures I think it's between 30, 35, 40 percent of cement is is common. So you could, I mean, 3D concrete print has a problem in terms of its environmental footprint. I don't think there's there's denying it, and I think geopolymers. I'm also not convinced by that. You know, is that it's a shifting. 
it's important with geopolymers that they don't use cement so so extensively right but it's it's uh, in terms of ecological footprint it's not it's not a revolution in uh, when contrasting it to uh, to concrete uh, so that drives me very much, right? Is that the, the ecological footprint? Uh, the irony is that even though the, the materials are, are cheap, uh, are extremely affordable, earthen construction is very expensive uh, because so much labor is in, involved uh, in that, right? And then don't forget that, that also in timber, I mean, it's fantastic what is happening in, in timber, but I think it's presented a little too much as a silver bullet, like it's going to solve all, all of our problems. So a bit too, too much of a reliance on, on timber. Uh, so that, that makes me very attracted to, to earthen constructions. And I'm really enamored with brutalism in architecture, right? So the realization that if I ever want to do a brutalist building, and I'm kind of inclined to do so. <laughs> it's going to be an environmental crime. There's just no, there's no denying that. It's a fact. Uh, so you could you could do this kind of architecture with a with a totally out of skew uh, solid solid void ratio, right? I mean, I think that's very uh, that's very interesting. So there were were a number of factors uh, drawing drawing me. To, to that uh, to that conclusion, yeah. And so you founded Terrestrial a little over a year ago, um, and when you first got started, were you experimenting with different combinations of dirt, clay, uh, and the materials? Was it mostly figuring out how to get it pumping? Uh, did you have robotics involved right from the get go? How did it start? Yeah, robotics involved from the from the get go. I'm not uh, very much of a material specialist per se, but one of the key challenges of of, of working with clay is shrinkage, right? So um, a lot of uh, colleagues in the field are are dealing with this uh, with severe shrinkage, so. I mean, six, seven percent of shrinkage is is not unheard of, yeah. And then you know that starts to define that becomes a constraint in a sense, right? You need to bear, build something uh, circular or so, or an oval, or to uh, those are forms that can uh, accommodate shrinkage. So that was an important uh, aspect to tackle, and our shrinkage is under half half percent. So it's you know we got that pretty pretty good under 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 control um, so that's that's pretty key so in earthen construction the challenges are excuse me um, you know just the strength of the of the of the material mm -hmm. it's it's far weaker than concrete of course right is that printed concrete 60 MPA of uh, compressive strength is nothing out of the ordinary and to get six MPA on uh, on earthen construction, it's like you're doing a you're doing a fine job already, then, right? So it's about a, a tenth of the co compressive strength, if not one twentieth. Uh, then erosion is one of the the challenges, but there's a lot of literature on that, right? You can uh, it's relatively 
well understood. It's ductility, I think, is the, 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 the most difficult aspect, right? Is that the material is tough. So uh, on an earthen cons construction, you know, when it breaks, puff, it goes, right? There's, there's, there's no ductility there. Yeah, so that's, I think that's a that's a core challenge. As far as mixing it and getting the material prepared to run through the robotic arm, are you able to do that with automation, or does it have to be all hand mixed? No, that's a big one. Is that and that's quite capital intensive. So we're designing we're designing such a system at the at the moment. Um, the project that we're that we're most focused on are these sound barriers. So that takes place at such a volume that you really want to uh, mix material in in situ, right? That that would be uh, that would be ideal, and so that that actually uh, that comes with a additional set of set of challenges. So the mixing is yeah, it's pretty pretty tough. Also. You know the deposition rate is pretty high. Um, at the moment, we are we are printing between half a cubic and a, a cu uh, between 0 0.5 cubic meter and 1.5 cubic cubic meter uh, per hour, and we're the coming year we're bumping that to five or six cubic meter per hour, and that's. Those are high depositions rates, right? Um, that's also attractive about it, right? Um, you increase that by increasing yeah. the diameter of the hose. Yes, that is that is one of the uh, aspects that is a that is a requirement. Uh, but five cubic meters is relatively doable. So we're not using a, an extrusion-based system, but. Uh, more uh, it's much more based on on shot quick uh, technology um and that id has you know wedges back into the consideration for rebar so it's it's possible to uh utilize rebar when uh, ah. in shot creep methods right i mean that is that is relatively well uh, well understood not saying is that it's not entirely without shadow, uh, challenges, right? So if you spray the material on the rebar, there's shadowing, right? Uh, you know, you're not the material doesn't end up uniformly uh, at the, you know, uh, on the on the backside of uh, of you where you're projecting different to. angles and stuff. Yeah, sure, uh, but it's it's routinely done, right? Is that most most shot grid constructions come with rebar um, so actually that's that's also interesting that it's a relatively well understood uh, field um, so with with 3d concrete printing uh, also a lot of novelty is in introduced so it's you know it's also challenging to 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 bring that to the to the market a lot of validation has to be done the mixes are are, are, are complex complex and uh, yeah it has all that compressive strength but it's as you said when you're extruding concrete it's very difficult to do that around any kind of rebar structure so it has like almost no tensile strength uh, which ends right. up having requiring backfill or poured columns within the printed concrete using it just as a formwork and in that case it may as well just be yeah. the foam that you're using before without the insulatory value 
so it makes yes. a lot of sense that you'd want a solution that could achieve a tensile strength. Uh, for a sound barrier, you don't require, it's not taking a vertical load besides itself. So uh, it's a great use case. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the thinking is that, um, you know, the processing earthen materials, I think this is more important than the material science. Uh, from my perspective, huh? let's say from uh, my perspective, that's that's somebody who's, who's interested in promoting earthen, earthen constructions. The reason why is that it's very difficult to compress material research, right? It's it's very incompressible. Uh, you have to go through through so many iterations. So there's no there's no shortcuts there, mm -hmm. and I feel that in in um, so the norm of processing earthen materials is that you put up a, uh, a concrete mold, right? Uh, and use a, a pneumatic hammer to temper Hammers. the material. Uh, right, exactly. Uh, and you build up layers of 15, 15 by 15, uh, 15 centimeters layers of, of, of material. So it's, you, know, you can't argue that it's super old school 3D printing, right? Tremendously and, um, intensive. It is. It is. And I, I think that's that's the pain point, right? So if you want to popularize uh, earthen construction, and I think there's uh, a tremendous need urge in in doing so, you need to you need to address labor labor heads on. So the cool thing is that you know if you can print it, you don't you don't need uh, need 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 any molds, right? And I think. You know, it would be amazing if we if we can achieve lights out uh, uh, earthen printing in a, in a couple of years from now. Fingers fingers crossed. It's, That's it's a quite great a challenge. Goal. It's a good goal. Yeah. It's I almost never even hear concrete companies talking about that goal. Uh, with concrete, it's so hard to achieve. It makes such a mess, and it's so permanent if you don't fix the mess immediately. But with earthen oh, yeah. construction, worst case scenario you grab a shovel and you clean it up the next morning or a week later. Shoveling is definitely part of the equation. Um, we use a, a dry mix approach. So in, in, in shot creed, you either go wet mix or, or, or dry mix. With wet mix, you can achieve greater volumes, but then you're, you know, it's a lot more stressful uh, due to, due to the, the setting of the, of the material. You know, and if you're printing with dry mix, you know, if it's if it's 12 o'clock, puff, stop the printer lunch, right? No problems. And even you can you can re restart a print from two weeks ago. It's just it's it's just it's totally continuous. So that is uh, there are some some very interesting properties there. I I, I was completely bewildered uh, when I saw that for the for the first time that that we could just Kind of endlessly uh, start start and stop this process, so it's 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 fairly mellow in a in that sense. Yeah, that's much better than the double bond epoxy layer that they need for concrete after they have a uh, solid uh, to avoid a cold joint. Uh, that's yeah. expensive, labor intensive, uh, all those yeah. things. So in Europe, is there past precedent for permitting buildings created with? Uh, earthen materials is it all around rammed earth yeah so 
Actually, uh, my friend Diederik Veenendaal, uh, who's, who's one of the, the absolute top engineers of his generation, he set up a company called Summit Engineering here in Rotterdam. So I'm super lucky because I also live uh, based, based there. And uh, Diederik worked for half a year on compiling all of the bits of code from New Zealand, from Germany, from France. From, uh, so we have a, a very strong grasp of, of building code related to earth and constructions and that's that that helps to fill in the blanks because it's it's definitely lacking yeah yeah europe has such a stronger history of construction innovation than the united states i think a big part of that has to do with permitting uh and also i know in the north it gets so cold they have to build in such short time frames that they've been innovative with prefab solutions uh so has have you municipalities been receptive towards your approaches uh, of earthen construction? Uh, yes. So we're working now on developing a proposal for uh, the municipality of Eindhoven. So at the scale of, of sound barriers, we're really a technology startup, right? We're, we're we're piecing together a package that the building contractors will uh, will utilize, and but on the scale of, of 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 houses, I think it's it's too early to to mm-hmm. to uh, share such a such a package with third parties. So the coming year we uh, were were endeavoring on on building a, a house in Eindhoven. Wow, that's huge. So you do have uh, intention of creating residential structures very soon. Uh, Europe has such a rich old culture. I'm sure there's old buildings like 500 years old made of earth and construction, right? Yes. So a number of years ago, I worked on... um, uh, on diamond wire sawing natural stone. And uh, the, the project was kind of well received. And I feel the reason uh, maybe that it's kind of equivocal, right? So for the traditionalists, there was natural stone. Mm-hmm. And for those uh, progressive, progressive technophiles, there were robots, right? And maybe uh, printing earthen constructions has this... Uh, has this similar kind of ambiguity, right? Where it's both incredibly progressive and somewhat regressive, maybe even. Um, yeah. Eindhoven's a hot spot too for uh, a lot of architectural innovations and design. Uh, ha- have you been able to lean on that community? I, as I guess you mentioned your friend who compiled all of the permitting around. Earth and construction, and you're right next to Vertigo and Volker. He's great. Uh, are there other ways the Eindhoven community has you benefited from being in that region? Mm, I'm not sure yet because I've been, you know, Terrestrial has I'm not sure how you how you dug us up, Jared, because we've we've we haven't disclosed that much information uh, so far, so. With a little bit of luck, we'll be involved in the Dutch design, uh, the upcoming Dutch design week. Um, 
but the the honest answer is that I haven't dabbled uh, enough. Uh, I haven't engaged enough in that in that community. To to be fair, I'm sure once you start doing more uh, physical projects and the the sound barrier in the houses, uh, they'll come to you. So uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> I hope so. I'm sure they will. It's going to be an awesome project, and there's something special about. Uh, regressive sounds like the wrong word, but uh, technologies that revisit, I guess, origins of construction or historic methods yeah. that people used. Uh, and they always seem, it's funny how things come full circle and uh, all the technology ends up being used to build the same thing that they were doing so long ago, potentially. But uh, the project that you won the award for in 2007 what did that look like? What did, what had you built? Whew. It's it's challenging to 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 describe. Um, let's see. Can I share my? Uh, yeah, is welcome to to uh, yeah. Please. Jared, help me. Can you? Are you getting this or? Not yet. Mm. Uh, there's a button uh, next to the leave button. It says share. Mark clip mic cam speaker share. How is this? Yeah, I'm seeing the button, but. So I'm afraid I need to restart my browser in order to to get that up and going. Uh, Are you using Chrome? Brave, yeah. Because I I can't hit share some somehow. Yeah, I think it's because it's not Chrome. Do you have Chrome? Uh, Brave is a Chrome browser, though, right? Okay. It's it's it's, it's technically the same under underpinnings. Um, shall I send you a couple of screenshots otherwise? Yeah, I can add it otherwise in. Edit, edit in. Is, uh, can I, is there I'll, something I can Google just to get an idea right now? Oh, sure. Mm. I'm looking for the chat window here, but there's none, is there? Yeah, it's uh, top right. Okay, let me find you something. That's incredibly unique. Oh, thanks. The design is adolescent. It's 14 years old, right? I mean, it's 
uh, half a professional life ago. Yeah, but I think it's some of the impetuses of uh, of X3 and uh, and Odico can be can be retraced through winning and not building that that uh, that competition. Yeah, I'm sure there's really unique. Uh, like different times of the day, the shadow shines in such unique ways, and it's not just like a plain square window. There's so many uh, curves and shapes. Uh, it's almost like a new building every hour. No, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So the idea for for this gallery was that uh, so it's very much driven by by computational uh, architecture, by evolutionary computing, and. Um, when I started with architecture, I was a rendering specialist, and I, I used uh, radiance, which is a physically correct, photometrically validated lighting uh, uh, light simulation engine. Mm -hmm. So it also runs on these massive grid grid computers. So the thinking was is that functionally, it's entirely reasonable to ask for uh, a window of 300 lux, right? But an arch architect would would find that uh, an absurd way of, of uh, would find it an absurd amount. And also for uh, a gallery, you know, is that if, if you have greater than 300 lux of lights, it will deteriorate the, the artworks, right? Uh. So the evolutionary compute, uh, computing process sought out to resolve uh, the program of the building in such a way that the, uh, the gallery would be lit uh, by 300 lux throughout the whole year, throughout uh, throughout the whole day. It was kind of the, the that was the original design concept. That's fascinating. And so, when you are trying to achieve that 300 lux, uh, is that done? Does the computer give you a model and say this is 300, or you had to try, through trial and error do testing and simulate the sun moving around? Through through trial and error, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, definitely. So it it took three months to 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 compute. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. So back to terrestrial. Uh, you started that company. Your LinkedIn at least says a year and three months ago. Uh, yeah. Did you start? Did you hire a team immediately? Were you working on your own for a while? No, for uh, on my own with a with a couple of uh, couple of. Uh, uh, couple of interns uh, and a, a cool group of people are, are, are flowing in and out. And um, also, I think, let's say, in those initial phases of the, of the company, uh, actually, it, it doesn't help to be with 10 or, 10 or 20 people. Now that after a year, we, uh, we have a grip on the, on the fundamental technology, and now it's time to time to scale things up, but only after well, a year about a year and three three months. It takes it takes some time, right? Is that um, yeah? So are you looking for your first hires now, or have you made besides interns uh, a first full time hire at this point? Yeah, we we are scaling up the 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 team at the, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Also because we're 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 working on on quite a number of. Uh, uh, of projects, but uh, I also had uh, great luck that uh, Yori helped me out tremendously the first year, and so he was graduate his graduation project really overlapped with uh, with with the kind of technology that we we're pursuing, 
even though though NDAs uh, were installed at the time. So I also have have been having uh, very good luck with uh, uh, with those coming uh, coming to help me uh, help me out. Yeah, for sure. Were you able to get funding through grants, or did you have to self finance everything to get started? No, in Europe, it's it's relatively there are a lot of grants, and especially with uh, with climate change and how the built environment uh, is such a, a dramatic uh, player in 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 that is that uh, yeah it's 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 uh, quite a number of grants are available, and that really helped for for the for the first year. So now that you're looking to scale up, what roles are you most in need of? Mostly material research and refining the, the print technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So PLC, uh, hardware, software. Yeah. Controllers, software. Listening on and they're really passionate about everything you're talking about and then earth and construction. Uh, and they want to work with you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Um, through my through my email. Let me share that you uh, on, the, uh, on the screen. Your Gmail? Yeah, please reach out. Sure. Yeah. J-E-L-L-E-F-E-R-I-N-G-A at gmail.com. Uh, I'll That's put right. that in the, the description of the video, too. Uh, Terrific. That's a huge help. Yeah. Oh. Hopefully someone's listening who's interested. I like to think uh, I have an audience of passionate and intelligent people. Uh, maybe one of them is in Eindhoven. Uh, so do you interact with Vertigo, uh, Vertigo and Volker often? And you work in the same area, so you see them all the time. Practically, practically on, a, on a daily basis. And uh, we, 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 have, we, sh we have lunch at the, at the same hour and the same place. So. Mm -hmm. uh, now that's really good fun. It's Vertigo is quite a quite a team at the, at the moment, and uh, they're they're being a huge huge support. And uh, yeah, definitely. They've always Very been really talented to those, those guys. Too. Yes. Um, so a couple of years ago, we did this did this little pavilion um, together with uh, mm -hmm. with uh, Vertigo and Summum Engineering. And since that project sparked, we we have been been close close friends ever ever since, and and yeah, working in um, uh, working together closely, yeah. So are those yeah, employees so in the? Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm I'm really lucky to 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 have such such cool and uh, intelligent friends in such close close proximity. So I'm really fortunate uh, with uh, with those guys. Are employees with experience in materials and robotics uh, the thing you need most right now to grow, or are you looking for financing, investment, uh, partners, or projects? Um, yes, that's what I what I need. Uh, what I'm from the outlook most, and in a sense, not too many people. Let's say in, in already in the emerging field of three D concrete printing, there's quite a bit of experience, right? And not, not all of that experience uh, translates to, to to my approach to earthen constructions, mm -hmm. right? So it's uh, let's say it's it's also fairly uh, fairly unique. Uh, I guess the work that comes close is maybe the work of Norman Haag, who has been uh, been pursuing uh, 
uh, shotgun-free shot concrete printing. Uh, so additive and Malbot are also pursuing that. Uh, and I'm also, yeah, I think those companies are that it's it's pretty interesting their their view on on uh, on concrete printing. Find it find that interesting. Does your system include a rotor stator anywhere? No, 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 not so much. No, it's it's the the material flow that is uh, that is challenging uh, because we're we're addressing relatively big big volumes, so a lot of uh, uh, transport belts, a lot of mixers, silos, those kind of aspects. And uh, we managed to integrate uh, the, the, the shotgun apparatus already transparently with, uh, with the robot. So that's the natural extension of the robot. And something that really helps in trying to achieve uh, lights out production is that if anything goes wrong, if a print hasn't succeeded, you should just read the log, log book and it should be very obvious what what went wrong right so that that uh, demands this very high degree of, uh, of of integration this kind of rigor to that uh, to that kind of uh, process so in that sense feels very much like a software engineering uh, project the, the, the so way we, uh, we approach this if it's a dry mix coming out of the shotcrete uh, head is there some kind of secondary spray or moistening process to make it adhesive? So the dry mix is shut up until the, the nozzle, and then at the nozzle it mixes with, uh, with, uh, with, with, with a percentage of water. So in wet mix, no, uh, uh, just accelerant is added at the, uh, at, at the nozzle, right? And uh, in dry mix, it's, it's both and, uh, the accelerator and the water. Yeah, and then the actual mixing, which is kind of interesting, is the impact. Uh, once it hits the projected surface, that's that's your actual mixing process. It's kind of fun, right? So it's fairly homogenous to begin with. Yeah, 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 yeah. And where are you getting the dirt from for these early projects? Um, yeah, you have a number of, of specialized firms who who offer these ready mixes, and it's a question of, of, of divide and conquer, right? Is that, oh, that so that secures a constant supplies of more or less the same material? And I think when you're doing these initial steps of technology development, you want to rule out, uh, you can't do everything uh, simultaneously, right? So the the material science, we're... we're uh, uh, we're trying to push that a little bit, uh, uh, push that out to 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 some extent, because it's such an incompressible, challenging project. And in a sense, you know, even at the scale of a house, you can't do much research on uh, on on the material aspect of it, right? If you're starting to produce kilometers of uh, of sound sound wall barriers, that would be a game changer, right? Then you can install a team that adapts the locally found source to uh, to to the requirements that you need so that's what's pretty attractive in earth and construction is that although it feels uh, somewhat uh, revisiting an, an ancient construction techniques as you stated is that some of the methodologies involved are pretty high-end right is so um, a paper that I found very influential was that 
uh, and the name of the researcher fails me, it's too bad. But um, there was an interesting paper that applied machine learning uh, such that you can get away with a limited uh, set of field tests to find out how how to adapt the recipe, you know, to get the properties that you that you're seeking, rather than going through a large series of costly and involved uh, laboratory tests, right? And the the mapping of us that uh, was ninety ninety five five percent, so it was incredibly imp impactful uh, research. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, is there anything that we didn't cover that we should uh, that we should get to? Well, uh, next year, spring next year, we're building um, we're building a prototype sound barrier wall, uh, 250 square meters, two and a half meter high. Wow. So that's a stretch of of 100 meters, and uh, so. Mobile robotics are are, are pretty key in uh, a, a pretty key ingredient, right? So we're not building these straight up walls, but then again, it's it's also not the most challenging uh, design to 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 produce. And in a sense, mobile robotics it's uh, it also introduces a number of of uh, uh, challenges. So that's why we try to balance. Both, both that these sound barriers have a have a degree of sculpturalness uh, in it, but also that we can pull it off on a on a technical level. And uh, yeah, so these the mobile robotics are 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 hot 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 ticket. Yeah, you, I think you already mentioned this, but two hundred fifty meters by what's the height? Uh, two hundred fifty square meters, so it's two and a half meters high, and then uh, hundred meters hundred meters long. So that's that's quite a quite a prototype. And it'll be a sound so, barrier between what, like a road and a pedestrian area, or it's a natural? yeah, it's a prototypical um, sound barrier. So it's not adjacent to the uh, to the railway. Um, yeah, so it it can fail in in that sense. Uh, but the exact location hasn't been been specified yet. So the coming months we're we're making a number of smaller smaller panels, but uh, that will be that will be quite a quite a challenge. Yeah, I guess it it will have to be a waterproof robot as well. If you're printing outside, it could rain. Oh yeah, yeah. So. The work in uh, in stone cutting is that you have uh, ABB robots are, are very well uh, water waterproof and you can you can just hose them down with a with a jet it's it's fine they're IP IP sixty eight yeah and that's that's my kind of preferred brand of, uh, of robots so lucky me yeah cool I should be in Eindhoven at some point uh, in twenty twenty three uh, spring or summer. Uh, so I'll stop by and we'll do a video uh, in person if you'll let me. Oh, terrific. Jared, looking forward. Excellent. Yeah, my plan is to be in Europe for six months uh, at some point in the middle of 2023 to visit as many construction automation companies as possible. Uh, and Eindhoven is certainly a stop uh, without a doubt. So uh, perfect. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Okay, excellent. Good news. Something to look forward to. It's a ways off, but uh, 
you have a lot to build by then. True. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll we'll meet all of those goals. It's uh, oh, actually, I misspoke. the 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 sound barrier prototype. It's in the spring of two thousand and twenty four. So we have okay. We have a year, year and a half uh, to 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 get up to standards. Yeah. Well, I'll come back uh, again. I think. Uh it's kind of my job now to just go film all the different construction automation companies. So, uh, I hopefully will every couple of years, I'll be able to reach Europe, the middle East, uh, Asia, ideally, uh, we'll see. I wish I had thought of that, thought of that business model myself. It's, it sounds, it sounds like terrific. Uh, but also, I mean, that's the, the joy and pleasure of, of pursuing, the coverage of the, of this revolution it it speaks from the from the channel and to, uh, it's an in, in important source of, of information so that is that is much much appreciated to be honest i never thought of a business model i was a uh, i was with a roommate of mine from college uh, traveling with his family in china and winsun happened to have a facility there they let me tour it so i bought my first camera and filmed the facility knowing it's not easy for americans to always go over there uh, posted the video on YouTube, uh, and it just like got some views. And then another company printed near my parents' house in Long Island, so I found that house, filmed that, uh, and after that, company started reaching out to me to film. Uh, and so it kind of just like happened by itself. There was never a business model in the beginning. That's cool. Though. I didn't know that history. It's interesting to me. Yeah. So I'll just keep doing it as long as I can. Uh, it's fun. So. It's interesting where, where our, our enthusiasm is taking us. Yeah, it's the best, uh, the best thing in the world is when you can have a job that you're enthusiastic about, right? So uh, we're lucky in that regard. But Absolutely. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, Yell, and uh, hopefully we can uh, do this again, maybe if it's a podcast in person, if the sound barrier is not built yet in Eindhoven or... Uh, we'll figure me, you, and Volker can grab lunch or something. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Should be excellent. All right. All right. See you in Eindhoven, Jero. Thanks again.